SeatGeek is the easiest way to find the best deals on tickets to pretty much any live event. Concerts, sports, theater, comedy, whatever you want. SeatGeek searches multiple ticket sites and compares prices for you, so you can save time and money. Plus, their mobile app is ridiculously easy to use. Download the SeatGeek app today and enter promo code SEATS to save $20 on your first purchase. That's promo code SEATS for $20 off. SeatGeek. Right seat, right now, right from your phone. Welcome to Tales, Tunes, and Tomfoolery, starring Jerry Springer, along with Gene Galvin and me. I'm Megan Hills. We're recorded live in front of a brilliant studio audience at the Folk School Coffee Parlor in Ludlow, Kentucky. My daddy came home. And now, ladies and gentlemen, it's Jerry Springer. Thank you. Every time you say that, I well up. I know. It's so cute. No, it's the cold. I got hey, you know, Jerry. So what's going on, Well, Gene? it's kind of interesting that uh, we start with this wonderful Roots music. And yes. that's the Red Cedars. Patrick Kennedy wrote that song. And it's funny. Saturday, I'm just out living my life. And I'm down at a place called Washington Park. It's sort of Cincinnati's version of Central Park. It's a beautiful place. It's a beautiful mm-hmm. place. Yeah. And there was uh, this thing going on, this concert. It was a benefit concert. And all of these folk groups are streaming in to to perform from 3 o'clock until probably 10 o'clock at night. I look over, and there's my friend Megan Hills walking up. It was a fundraiser. had to do with dogs, basically, furry furry friends. friends. And and Megan was there with her dog, uh, which she always says is part of her family. And we we sat down, Jerry, and we listened to this music. And we were just a couple of regular human beings enjoying the afternoon. Among the dogs. Among the dogs. dogs. On the grass. (laughs) And we were both joking, weren't we, Megan, that we we didn't think that a Jerry Springer would ever come to anything like that. Something that's that sort of normal. Salt of the earth. Salt of the earth. Where did they have a place you could park the no, no. <laughs> see, that's the point, and that's actually no. my point. Drivers didn't have a place to stand. It was, oh. yeah, it was. Yeah. We looked up and we saw uh, look like to us a corporate jet flying over, and yeah. we thought, well, you know, maybe there's Jerry up there. there looking yeah, down. I was, I was but sometimes around. you should go yeah. out and just join regular people to just Ex- have fun in life. It what may, are regular people like? Well, the, right here. <laughs> got a room full awesome. of them. <laughs> Hi, Yay! See, those are regular yeah. people. Real people. And I want to ask you something else yes. that's in the same theme. Yes. And I want to show you this. And you might have to describe it because, of course, people, this is only audio. But this is a certificate that I received from the Commonwealth of Kentucky. Yes. For from January up to May, yeah. I, Gene Galvin, served my state by serving on jury duty. Well, that gets me nervous. What? And I, and what I, do you mean, jury? What? What? And, you and, got a certificate? And I got a certificate, and it's framed. I'm, I hang it on my wall saying yeah. that, you know, thanking me for my service. It made I me once think got of a some... certificate from the Justice Department. <laughs> sure, <laughs> yeah, you did. did. <laughs> you did. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, they, in fact, they invited me to uh, come yeah. on by. <laughs> yeah, I bet they did. And when I walked into the courtroom, they had this special seat for me. I bet they did. <laughs> Yeah, it was unbelievable. Uh-huh. So you served on a jury. I did, and it made me wonder: Have you ever? Well, I thought two things. One, have you ever served on jury duty? I've been called twice. I served once. Yeah. I bet you have never, once again, done something that's helpful to your jurisdiction to go give <laughs> four months of your life 
to, to sit and uh, judge over other people. Another thought I had is what the heck would people think if they looked up and they saw you on well, their that jury? Is, that is the reason I never get selected for the jury. Have you, uh, and you've never well, been I've called? Been, yeah, I have been called, but I've, at various times. For example, when I was living here in Cincinnati, mm -hmm. um, I started out being a lawyer, so I you know, normally wasn't called because I was in court representing people or whatever. Right. And then I was the mayor. So, you know, so there was never. And by the way, you were a good lawyer because I remember. Uh, so you anyway, did, no, so no, 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 hold was, on, hold on. Uh, my my first wife, Bonnie, sitting right there. You represented us That's how in I a met situation you. Well, no, <laughs> with a, a simply filing Megan a deed at the courthouse. This, this, this is a true story. Necessary. And I would say about 12 years later, 15 years later, I was told, I got a call saying that deed was improperly filed and it's all yeah. messed up. Well, thank you. And, and the first and that I do led, believe. That, is that led to my current career. Yes. <laughs> That, that is true, is, isn't it, yeah. Bonnie? That happened. Oh, and well, I remember I called you. I couldn't wait to call yeah. Jerry to say. Well, because you want a piece of property that slid down the hill. Well, the you view of the river got better and better by the year. It was that an was act actually of God. a benefit. It was an Our act house of was God. getting closer Shall to the river. Our heads. <laughs> yeah. Hey, anyway, yeah. what the heck is a deal? By the way, that, you never paid. Oh, well, you know, maybe you'd get better representation fair if point. you paid. Yeah, fair point. Go ahead. But, why, but why, uh, why? But no, so, I do get called. Uh, and, and then you don't serve. You don't get the certificate. You well, don't they, serve your they state. Excuse right me. They excuse, like in Florida, for example. I mean, they do excuse me now because one, probably the what they would perceive as influence or you know people hate the show they're you know they're gonna go the other way in other words it just complicates the jury so very rarely having nothing to do with me very rarely do you get people that are for whatever that reason well known necessarily mm -hmm. sitting on a jury because as a lawyer you you don't want to risk that you don't want to risk that for your client right. because you're thinking you're gonna you know maybe this quote celebrity has influence on the other jurors and that that's not anything you want to play with. So most jury consultants will say you don't want that guy on the jury. And, Megan, this is one more time where the rich celebrities yeah. have a real easy slide through life yeah. and just working folks like us have Plus, to. Plus, those chairs are not comfortable. <laughs> you know, though, I've never been called oh up. Oh, my God. You have never been called? No. Yeah. And I, I would like to. My people have served. I'm sure. Yeah, your people have, yeah. Well, I'm your people. Yeah, I was going to say, clearly, yeah. Shane's been sent. I have my people sense. come down and serve. Well, in closing. And could, so you got this. This is pretty simple. Does everybody this, th this is the only plaque. <laughs> the Gene Gallagher. Seventy-one odd years <laughs> old. And, and He's got one plaque, plaque in his whole life. Yeah, that's true. Speaking of plaques, today this is true, and we're not going to talk about it. But I just I, it, it, this is God's truth. Today, exactly fifty years ago, I graduated from college. Wow. Congratulations! Thank Jerry. you. Good I job. made it, and Good I job. got a plaque for that. Yeah, I got a plaque. <laughs> I got a plaque, and it's beating that old yeah, plaque. I, I hear you. Etched in stone. Yeah, this is great. Not yeah. pathetic to have this thing framed. I it's said to my pathetic. wife, can this you is, frame that, you please? You are a lonely man. So you need to hey, get a life. how yes. about that Pete Rose? Pete Rose. Oh, right, because the All-Star Game is coming up here in Cincinnati. First of all, to have the All-Star Game in Cincinnati, for Cincinnatians and the tri-state area, this is an amazing moment because we probably deal with baseball differently than almost any other place in the country. Cincinnati was the first 
professional baseball team in America. And so we have always taken our baseball very seriously. And then during the 1970s, of course, we had the big red machine. And there are those baseball aficionados who honestly believe that in the years 75 and 76, the team that the Reds had was perhaps the greatest team ever assembled for one or two years. That and the 27 Yankees, and there's always a discussion about that. But it was a great team. And on that team, you had people that either are in the Hall of Fame or should be in the Hall of Fame, and that's what we'll talk about in a second. But you had Pete Rose, you had Johnny Bench, you had Joe Morgan, Tony Perez. I mean, it was an incredible team and won the World Series in 75 and 76. Okay, the reason it's such a big deal this year to have it back is Pete Rose is, in a sense, Cincinnati. And what I mean by that is, in today's world, we tend, as fans, to root for uniforms. In other words, you say you're a fan of the Cincinnati Reds or the L.A. Dodgers or the New York Yankees, but the truth is you're rooting for that uniform because the players don't live there. They're not from there. They probably play there only for a few years before they take a better contract or get traded to another team. Players have no connection to the franchise they play for. That's what happened when free agency came around. But there was a time before 1976 when ball players really lived in the community they played for, and they usually spent most, if not all, of their career with that one team. You add to that the fact that Pete Rose was born in Cincinnati, schooled in Cincinnati, Western Hills High School. It was a very unique experience for those of us who lived here to actually see someone on September 11th, 1985, when he got his 4,192nd hit, passing Ty Cobb, to have gotten the most hits ever in the history of baseball that we saw it here in our hometown from someone who we lived with our whole lives, who was born and raised here. So you saw the development of this kid being a high school star and then going on to play minor league ball and then he played for the Reds his whole career. It was like you don't get that experience to find someone who is the best in the world at something and you saw the whole development. That is a very unique experience. I, frankly, I can't think of anyone else, the very best person who ever lived at that thing, and yet you saw his whole life. So Cincinnati's relationship with Pete Rose is, is beyond what most communities have for their favorite athletes. Now, of course, you know the end of that story, or at least the middle of that story. Pete Rose gets found to have gambled on baseball which is the cardinal rule of baseball that everyone who plays the game is told from day one during spring training. There's a big statement about it in the dressing room saying you may not bet on baseball. Everyone knows that rule. And the reason that is the fundamental rule of baseball is that baseball almost was done away with in 1919 because players had bet on the game the famous Black Sox scandal. No one will go to baseball games or any sporting event if they believe the players are betting on it because then none of it is honest. None of it is true. You don't know if a, a basketball player is purposely missing a shot because he's bet on the other team winning. 
you don't know if a baseball player is is striking out or dropping a ball or throwing it errantly into the stands because he's got some money on the game. You can't have sports, and you certainly can't have professional sports when all this money is put into it, if there is even a hint that there's gambling going on in the sport among the players that are participating. It is why it is the most sacred rule of all. So, Pete Rose, one of the greatest players ever, who legitimately got more hits than anybody else, and who by any standard would be in the Hall of Fame, no one got more hits than him ever, and no one will ever come close, because careers aren't that long anymore, but he's not in because he gambled on baseball. And there are people that say, wait a second, there are people in the Hall of Fame who did far worse things in terms of life, who committed violent crimes, some suspected even of murder, rape, all kinds of horrible, horrible crimes. And they're in the Hall of Fame. We don't judge them, their personal lives or what they did. We only judge by what you did on the field. And yet for Pete Rose, they made an exception because this hit at the very heart of the sport. Now, the technicalities are such that in 1990, they passed a, a new rule. You can't be voted into the Hall of Fame unless you're eligible to be in the sport of baseball. And so when Pete Rose was banned for life, which was the punishment for having bet on baseball, he couldn't be voted into the Hall of Fame because he's banned from baseball. It is now 25 years later, and more and more of us are saying, you know, he served his time. 25 years. His career was stopped. It's not as if baseball would be going back on its punishment. They threw him out of baseball and they kept him out of baseball, participating in it for the rest of his life. So there's nothing that baseball has to say, oh, we're giving in. No, the rule is still there. You bet on baseball, you will be banned from participating it, in it for, let's say, at least the next 25 years. Well, if you're banned from participating in baseball for 25 years, your career is over. No one's going to hire you at that age to either play or do anything else. So it's a career ender anyway. So the only question is now whether this guy who lives and breathes baseball, who has been, other than the gambling, a great ambassador for the game, he, he just, if you know Pete, it just oozes out of him. Anytime he's got a microphone in front of him, he talks about the love of the game. He still knows probably more about baseball than any person living. So maybe now after 25 years with the All-Star game coming to Cincinnati and a new commissioner who said he will revisit the issue and even meet with Pete, can you imagine if they used that night to announce that Pete Rose is no longer banned from baseball. And that's what you're calling for? That's what you're I think for. that would be such a wonderful moment. It is part of the forgiveness that is in the American spirit. It is still consistent with the strictness of the rule. You are banned from baseball for the rest of your career. And now it would give the Hall of Fame the opportunity to vote for him. The other technical problem is you only can get voted into the Hall of Fame, I think, 15 years or so after you become eligible. You become eligible for the Hall of Fame after you've been out of the game for five years. Then there's a 15-year period they can vote you in. If you don't get voted in over those 15 years, and obviously the 15 years has passed, 
then only a veterans committee can vote you in. And that veterans committee is made up of other Hall of Famers. Now, I personally think that sucks because I don't, there's just something elitist by the, by the idea that because you're in the Hall of Fame, you have a say as to who else gets in. And you think the prospects in front of that group would be much tougher for It's him. a tougher hall. It's not hopeless, but it's a tougher hall. But at least let baseball take the step of saying a man who has devoted his life to the game here in Cincinnati, the nation watching the All-Star game, wouldn't it be great to say, you know what, Pete, come on in. You're back. Yep. That's good. Good boss, Eric. Cincinnati would explode. It would explode. And Pete, if you're listening, I could use two tickets to the game. <laughs> no one can get tickets. Because God knows he's been, gotten tickets for your TV show, hasn't he, over the years? Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. He's, he's, he is someone who would watch. Let's analyze for a second. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. That's, that's and little, I mean that in only the finest way. That was a bit yeah. judgy. Yeah. Let's, uh, let's try this for a segue. Let's see if coal companies are gambling with the environmental health of Kentucky's future. Wow. And to a do transition. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. And, and to rich. discuss that, we have uh, Rick Troud, who is with us. Uh, thank you for coming, Rick. And Rick is a member of Kentuckians for the Commonwealth. And we're going to talk for a couple minutes about mountaintop removal. And maybe the best way to start is for you first to tell us just a sentence or two about the Kentuckians for the Commonwealth. And then also, what's mountaintop removal? Because some listeners may not know that term, that way of framing the issue. Well, Kentuckians for the Commonwealth began actually in the coal fields in eastern Kentucky as a response to mountaintop removal mining. We have a, a, a broader scope right now than just environmental issues. But as far as mountaintop removal, what's happening, and I, I need to go back a little background here, what's happened in, in the coal fields of Kentucky They've been mining coal in Kentucky for over 100 years. All the coal that's easy to get at is gone. There's probably 3.3 billion, that's a B, tons of coal left in what's called the Pool Creek uh, coal zone, which is eastern Kentucky. But the report also says that it's thinner seams, it's deeper, and it's going to be much more expensive to get this out of the ground. Mountaintop removal is an inexpensive way to get the thin seams out of the ground if they're close to the surface. I've heard people call it bombing the mountain, but they're massive explosions, which basically blow the top off the mountain. Really? Yes. And then they bring in large earth-moving equipment, which shove the refuse off and down into the valleys below. What runs through the valleys? Streams. And whenever you have coal, you have sulfur, you have arsenic, you have mercury, you have selenium. All this stuff will pollute the stream. And not only affect, therefore, the wildlife and the environment, but also the people that live in exactly. these communities. Exactly. Their water is now affected. Yes. Their, and, their, and the thing is, you've got to remember, in these, you know, we're talking these mountain hollers, <clears throat> mountain valleys, there are no, there's not city water. So they're getting their water out of a well, mostly out of a well. There's, there's a great story on our website, and I, I would suggest anyone here who wants to read it. So it's about a man named Rick Hanshue uh, from Floyd County and what happened when they put one of these surface mines on the mountain behind his house, poisoned his lakes, poisoned his, the, the stream. His family has been living on this Raccoon Creek for over 200 years. They've had to abandon their homestead. Is anyone doing studies on the effects of the health of the people that live there? In other words, have the cancer rates increased? They are, has, yes. 
Yes. Yeah, so yep. I mean, so look, we have those. There, there is definite evidence. There is empirical evidence. You have evidence. respiratory problems. You have higher cancer rates. You have higher, higher rates of various diseases in these communities. Three things, it sounds like, happen that many would say are, are, are very disdainful. And I just came back from a backpacking trip a month ago, uh, Pine Ridge Mountain sure. down near Harlan and yes. Whitesburg and uh, in the same region. And I did it in the spring when the leaves weren't up yet. Part of the wonderful experience is to look up and to see the beautiful ridges. It's sort of play out in front of you. Now you see flat tops, a horribly unnatural look. So the one thing is they just lop the mountain off so it looks different. Two, the, all the residuals go down into the valleys and pollute. And then third is this potential health problem. We, we had, oh, about a year ago, we had two members of a local Libertarian Party show up at one of our meetings. And they were all hot on this issue for something I had never thought of, and that's property rights. When they come in and they do this, they destroy the value of the surrounding properties. And they were coming at this from a, from a not sure. from an environmental standpoint, but from a property. So there's a, there's a number of aspects to this whole thing. By the way, there's a book, and you read it, we talked about yeah, it. Yeah, John so Grisham's book, uh, Gray Mountain, uh, which I think is, his, if it's not his most recent one, it's within the last two that he's put out. And uh, it's exactly on this issue and uh, of... Uh, uh, you know, knocking off the mountaintops and uh, what it has done to the local community and the increase in, in, in all kinds of diseases and the, the loss of property. And now this is in the novel, the callousness of, you know, if the coal company can make some money with this, they're going to go ahead and do it. As you said, it's a cheaper way to get coal. What about when we were digging in the coal mines, of course, that was a very difficult existence for the coal miners. And, you know, talk about lack of safety and going in there and uh, the lung, lung disease, yeah, black, black lung, lung disease, yes. and all of that that was going on. So there will be those that argue, if you're going to have coal, is this environmentally a, a better way? In other words, what is the human effect of knocking off the tops of mountains versus going deep into the coal mines. Well, I think you've got more people affected by mountaintop removal. Got it. Because, number one, when the poison, when the arsenic and the mercury and, and all these nasty things hit the water, everybody downstream is impacted. And that stream is going to flow into a bigger stream. It's going to flow into a bigger stream. Pretty soon it's going to be into a river. Were these coal miners that, that used to be in the mines, are they the ones now working on this? Or were they, did they hire different people? No, it's some of the same people, but that's an older generation. Right. What also do you say about the economic arguments that the coal companies make and a lot of Kentucky and West Virginia and Pennsylvania, places where they make the argument uh, to groups like yours, you guys are causing real trouble because this is our economy. Coal is king in Kentucky. And you come in and turn people away from our economy and hurt our workers in these communities we named before. So what's the answer to the economic question? A couple of things. One, the number of, of miners, active miners in the Appalachian coal fields is going down dramatically year to year to year to year. So the problem is coal. You know, we've gotten it all the easy stuff. It's going to be expensive, you know, if we can't do mountaintop removal to get to the others. But even with mountaintop removal now, Coal right now is more expensive per, per BTU than uh, natural gas. So you've got things like the uh, utility in Big Sandy 
announcing, this is in the middle of coal fields, announcing they're going to convert to natural gas. The whole fracking question comes up then. Well, but it, for talking just economy, economics right now, and you're right, there are certainly environmental issues associated with, with the fracking and, and all the sea of natural gas that we have. One of the local politicians called the CEO an idiot, uh, and, and there was this big brouhaha, so they backed off, and they said, okay, and then they filed a rate increase, because it's going to cost more to burn the coal. Well, then everybody blows up about that. I mean, you're damned if you're doing, you're damned if you don't. These jobs are going to go away, and right now in the United States, there are more people working in the solar energy field than there are in the coal mines. That's right, and, and, and that's by the direction. way, they went through the same thing with tobacco, which sadly yeah. was is Kentucky as well as North Carolina, et cetera, but the big tobacco states has... As obviously we learned, you know, the uh, ills and the dangers of, of smoking, all of a sudden that industry, people had to yeah. move on to other, other things. It, it, that is inevitable. As times change and we become more educated, people move into different fields. So no parent is talking to his young son or daughter right now and saying, hey, when you graduate, I want you to go into the coal mines. I want you to go into the coal industry. There's other things Kentucky can be doing uh, having to do with tourism and borrowing right. some things from North Carolina yes. and Tennessee. There, there's one thing Kentucky has done, which is just dreadful. West Virginia, which has all the same problems, mm -hmm. the coal uh, severance tax, which is money earmarked for just this situation when the coal runs out, what's going to happen? West Virginia has been doing what they were supposed to do with it and stockpiling it. They have billions of dollars in this, in this fund that they can use to help bring other industries in, to retrain and the people. And Kentucky doesn't do that, you what say. What we did is, what Kentucky did was started putting all that money into the general fund. We have nothing. That's interesting. All right, thank you very much, Rick Troud, uh, Kentuckians go. for the Commonwealth. It's, it's a... It's an important issue, not just to this place where we sit at the Folk School Coffee Parlor, which is in Ludlow, Kentucky, uh, but it's important to certainly a whole region. And, and another time, we'll, we'll always go back to talk about the environment. It's an ongoing discussion, uh, climate change, et cetera, because yep. that all has to do with fossil exactly. fuels. I mean, we've got to get, fuels. ultimately, we have to get away from it. Yeah. So now we're going to Can I make switch. one last yes. thing? Yesterday, June 1st, and I think anybody here who's, who's a fan of mountain music, Gene Ritchie died, age 92. Yep. I mean, just She's an amazing wonderful. woman. I appreciate your bringing that up, Thank and uh, let's now talk some music. We have a group that I love, and uh, it's called the Mama Drones. I love, and, I, I love you more. And <laughs> he lies. In the Mama Drones are, and I want to kind of highlight this, is uh, Maria Corelli, who is one of the baristas here. Yes. And we love Maria. Serving us. And then also uh, Annie, Mc and she's on guitar, and Andy McFeeters, who plays mandolin on this tune, and Jonathan Dahl, who plays bass. And uh, Maria, and maybe others too, I didn't get ages, but I know, because I've asked you, like, how old are you? And you 23 when I asked yeah. you that. Maybe you still are 23. And so that three puts of her, them, two of whom were dolls. Yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah. Last hey. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I'll be here all week. But don't yeah. <laughs> right. Good uh, Lord. And Maria and uh, she and, and maybe her cohorts are original songwriters, are writing their own music. And this song called Trouble, which has an interesting story. Let's hear the song, and then we'd like to chat with you about it. Sure thing. The Mama Drones.
that's a great song. I have to admit, yeah. I, re I requested that song because I hang out here all the time. Maria can attest to that. They get sick of seeing me. And, and one conversation we had was, or I heard you sing that on one Saturday morning, and I asked about it. And Maria, by the way, uh, who wrote that song, is an environmental studies graduate of the University of Cincinnati. Yeah. So it's perfect fit to have <laughs> yeah. her here the same uh, yeah. night we're talking about Kentuckians awesome. for the Commonwealth. Or Tuesday of every month. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. And I asked you one day, what's that song? Where did you get that song? What was the inspiration for that song? And please tell that story real fast. Well, uh, so I say this sometimes when I when I start the song. I like to, I like to hear the background of people's songs. So I like to give my background sometimes and this one I, uh, I went to college for four years uh, got my bachelor's of science as you said in in environmental studies and uh, took some amazing classes there some incredible professors and lots and lots of information out there on this stuff and it's a new and budding um, major just because there's all, all this you know this all the stuff coming going on with the environment and the, the uh, you know anthropogenic uh, effects on it, so human effects on it, and so I learned all these, all these, you know, I had just, there's a wealth of knowledge out there, and, and uh, essentially what I took away from all that was we're all doomed. So before the lights go out, <laughs> yeah. let's say Irene Goodnight. Yeah. Yeah. This is a perfect <clears throat> segue into Irene Goodnight because yeah. it's all over, folks. <laughs> That's it. Hey, Maria, that, that uh, dark view it's kind of frightening because it is spawned by all of these issues that one of which we were talking about tonight and it's understandable but and I know you have this philosophy we're not giving up no. this environment is no, no, no. worthy of being fought for and we'll fight for it in our ways that we know how including your music and that song helps do that we appreciate it very Thank much you. would you guys take us out on Irene Goodnight, the song that we always go out on and we always look forward to hear what pace you're going to play it in, what key, to see if Jerry Springer can, can find that key because he's going to join he's going to join in on this. It so. almost doesn't matter what key you play it in. <laughs> I sing in my key, which is L sharp. <laughs>
And I'm sorry that you were ever You've been listening to Tales, Tunes, and Tom Fullery, sponsored by the Folk School Coffee Parlor in Ludlow, Kentucky. Thanks to Patrick Kennedy for writing our opening song, and to you for listening. Hope to see you all again real soon. car on the road today deserves quality parts and Napa know-how, but none more than your dream car, especially if you got it 10 years after it came out. Boy, did your patience pay off, because here you are toting your swagger about town like the gentleman motorist you are at a fraction of the cost. And with some quality parts and a little Napa know-how, you can keep your dream car running longer, stronger. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how.